This week has been an absolute whirlwind. Um, as, of, as of Tuesday, uh, everything that was in the bulletin, that's going to be in the bulletin today, was happening. And two days later, decisions were made, and now it seems like the entire world has stopped, at least in our culture. Um, it seems like most of the things that we normally do day to day, you know, they, they, most of the things we take for granted just have, have stopped. It's going to wake up and go to school. That's stopped. Don't celebrate too much, y'all. Um, there, there's, there's just the normal everyday pace of life has been messed up, right? I'm not going to lie. Uh, the first time I, I heard the word coronavirus, uh, it was three weeks ago. And for me, I, I honestly thought it was somebody making a joke about Mardi Gras. Um, I, I've, I've heard it said that whenever you, after you have a... a, a a good time, quote-unquote, at a parade, that uh, the next morning you wake up with a sinus headache. Um, well, I, I thought the coronavirus was just another fancy, fun way to say that I have a hangover. Um, that, that was my first thought when I heard the word. That was three weeks ago. Fast forward a little bit, and some people said, after realizing it was a real sickness, you started hearing it's a hoax. You start hearing it's not really that big of a deal. You start hearing it's way too big of a deal. You start hearing, oh, this is all political. Oh, this is all this. This is all that. This hysteria coming in. I, I have learned, though, in this process, that if you tell Cajuns that you are in a state of emergency, they automatically go into hurricane prep. I don't know about you. I, I, I'm waiting for those to run out of uh, plywood. I'm, uh, I'm waiting for Vienna sausage and powder meat to become just as exciting and as fun as hand sanitizer. I think if you mix those two things, it would blow up. Um, and I kind of thought about filling my bathtub with water, but decided not to. I, the big question that has kind of sat with me, and I've heard a lot of people ask and a lot of people talking about, is this whole thing just too much? Like, is the whole, the whole thing that we're doing, is it just too much? Uh, I'm a, if you hadn't noticed, I'm a sports fan. I, I am missing the fact that every time I put on our TV and start looking at the menu, that there's games there, and I'm like, yeah! Oh, wait, it's canceled. Yeah! Oh. I, I, love, I love March Madness and being able to, like, fill out the bracket and doing the whole thing. And next weekend, I'm going to go into mourning and sadness even more than I'm already, I am because... 48 basketball games in four days was going to be awesome, and it's not happening. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things in our country, though. There's a lot of things in our world around us that, that we're stopping. And a big question has been, is it really worth it? Because every one of those basketball games that would have been played had seniors on those teams, and their career's over. And then that, 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 that finds its way into... Our high schools that it's seniors on those baseball teams and track teams and all, all these different teams and clubs and sports and band and all, all these things it's man, my, my world got rocked I think every one of us knows a sad story of someone who might have been injured or something and senior year was going to be their year and now the, the season's canceled is it really worth it 
Families, families, I know um, I got a nephew that plays travel baseball and I know the, the energy and, and everything that goes into that. And there's a dance competitions and cheer competitions and gymnastics competitions and recitals and everything and it's all up in the air and it's the end of my time and I love what I do. Is it really worth it? I think today's gospel can help us to kind of understand and maybe a way to kind of look at if this is really worth it. Our, our gospel today, the, the woman at the well, I'm just going to let you know, the woman at the well can be spoken about and preached about 12 different ways. And they would not exhaust the mystery and the beauty that happens here. So much of the language that is said in both the long and the short version of the gospel, right? So every word is dripping with symbolism and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. The woman at the well also is a very practical story, and I think today we're going to focus on the practicalities of the story. Um, the woman at the well, there's three things about her that we learn from this story that I think can help us understand where we are today as a culture. The first thing is, she is a she. The second thing is, she has a reputation. And the third thing, she goes to the well at an odd time. She is a she. She had a reputation. And she goes to the well at a very odd time. She's a she. The, the, the woman at the well is, in fact, a woman. We learn that pretty quickly from the text, right? But for their context, for their social structure, for their world, their culture, everything else, woman was kind of a second-class citizen. They belonged to the man almost. There's another scripture that talks about a woman losing her only son and, her, and, and being a widow. And it's a very hopeless situation because somebody in a patriarchal society like the early, like, like 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, it, you had to have a man that was going to provide and protect you. And if you didn't, it was a really hopeless, vulnerable situation. This woman by herself. We come to learn that she doesn't have a husband and she's had many husbands and now the, the man she's with is not her husband. Very vulnerable situation. So she is a she. That litany of husbands, though, leads to another point that she has a reputation. Samaria, not a big, an area, the town she lives in, assuming it's not a very big town. And if it's anything like other small towns, like, I don't know, let's say Raceland, Louisiana, whenever somebody has five husbands and they're working on a sixth, that message finds its way up and down the bayou, right? Something bad can happen in Thibodeau and we find out in Golden Meadow, but I'm just saying, like, it, it finds its way around that this woman probably has a reputation that precedes her. There's a reputation with this woman that goes ahead of her that she's automatically on the defensive anytime she's around people. Because she's got a reputation. So she is a she, and she has a reputation. Thirdly, in our scripture, we learn that she goes to the well to get water at noon. In my life, I've been woken up by many, many, many a lawnmower. Because anybody that cuts grass knows the best time to cut grass is once you wake up. 
Because if I'm going to go do hard outside work, I want it to be as cool as it possibly can outside. It was no different. This is the hard outside work. Carrying water. Water is heavy, y'all. Like she would bring a bucket to fill up at this well. And that was all the water that was used in their home during the day. Where she was cooking, cleaning, whatever it was. It was all the water that was going to be used in the day. You do the hard work early. But I got a feeling that in a town that all the ladies did the hard work early. And by not going in the morning when all the other ladies went, you can read it into it, I'm going to take some liberties with it, but I'm going to assume that she probably, that reputation that preceded her, probably kept her out of the club. Probably kept her from feeling too comfortable being looked at like, oh, of bet, or oh, look at that one, that kind of look. She might not want to be right in the middle of all the ladies. So she shows up at noon. She's kind of relegated to the hottest part of the day where she knows she's not going to get that look. The woman at the well is in a very vulnerable spot. She's in a very lonely spot. She's a she. She has a reputation. And she goes at noon to get her water. This day when she goes to at noon, though, she meets Jesus. And Jesus, if we want to think of Jesus' life, Jesus this is the fourth chapter of John's gospel. This is towards the beginning of his ministry. Jesus is going very, very quickly. And is, he's becoming very, very popular throughout the area, throughout the region. Right? He has his 12 apostles that he's forming and he's teaching. And he's going out and he's proclaiming the gospel as they're trying to get it. And he's trying to proclaim it. He's busy. And it just happens to be that these two worlds meet at a well. And that Jesus has a chance in his busyness to take a pause for a second and help someone, encounter someone, be with someone who's lonely and vulnerable. Jesus could easily have gone it's not that important, and kept going on his way. He could have kept going to the town and preach a great homily and get a lot of people excited, but instead he made a point to say, you guys go forward and do your thing. You guys go to the town. You guys go find food. You guys get away. I'm going to get a drink and take a rest because there's someone who's lonely and vulnerable that needs some help. I think for all of us right now, In this, in our context, in our world, there's a lot of people that are lonely and vulnerable. I, uh, I, growing up, we, we never had to worry about babysitters. Um, whether it was summertime or breaks from school or whatever, uh, we would always, we would coordinate with our cousins and we would go to my grandma's house. So basically chaos would ensue at my grandma's house. Either grandma, we would make sure to coordinate, well, you go to your dad's side and then come to my mom's house. Okay, good. Like, we were, like, scheming and figuring it out, making sure that we had a bunch of cousins at the house at one time. And we loved doing that. By, by having my grandmother, my grandfather, and, and, and on both sides of my family babysit me for countless hours and days, I'll be honest, in a lot of ways, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that because it allowed me to get to know my grandparents to a level that a lot of kids today don't get a chance to know their grandparents. It helped me kind of see what's really important, helped me really cherish family, all these things. I, I have to say, I'm very, very grateful the time that I've been able to spend with them. 
But right now in our culture, right now with this threat, whenever we could think of all the reasons why this is too much, it's too much, it's too much. The kids are getting out, now I've got to get a babysitter, all this stuff's canceled, like, oh my goodness. Like, we think of it as being too much. But in reality, we get an opportunity to step into the place of Jesus and take care of the lonely and the most vulnerable. Because whenever you hit 80 years old with this disease, all of a sudden it becomes scary. Might not be a big deal for me at 30. But for us, if we want to be like Christ, if we, at this Lent, get an opportunity in a special way to be like Christ, that we can take a moment to pause our life to take care of the lonely and the vulnerable. Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us in this church this morning has someone that we know that is over a certain age that would be vulnerable to this disease. Every single one of us knows somebody or multiple people who have, who have dealt with something like cancer and has chemo and those kind of things and we would be susceptible to this disease. Every one of us knows people with underlying health issues that if they are exposed to it, their life might actually be in danger. We get the opportunity to just say, pause on my day, to pause my life for the sake of theirs. I had a, a message on my phone this morning when I was walking out after 9 o'clock mass um, that Louisiana, as of now, is up to 91 cases. Just, by, just to let you think, like, and I don't say this to scare you, but just so you know, um, Louisiana has less than 5 million people in it. We have 91 cases. The state of Texas has about 20 million people, and there's 60 cases. Per capita, because we're lovey and we, we hug and we kiss and all those things, like, it, it's something that's happening and it's spreading and it's in this area and it's, it could be scary, but I don't say it to scare you, I say it just simply to point out a reality that if it's a chance for us to hit pause on our life for a short period of time so that my grandparents don't get sick, so that your loved ones don't get exposed to this disease, it might be worth it. This Lent, we have an opportunity. The goal of Lent every year is that at the end of Lent, when Jesus resurrects, when we go to experience Easter Sunday, that we would look and sound and be a little bit more like Jesus. We have an opportunity laid right in front of us. To be able to look and sound and be a little bit more like Jesus. In the way that he interacted with the woman at the well. That he sacrificed, he paused his life for a little while so that he could minister to someone who was vulnerable and possibly lonely. We get an opportunity to look and sound and act a little bit more like Jesus because quite honestly, it is a burden. It is a burden that... There's no tissue paper in Walmart. <laughs> it is a burden that people, there's mass hysteria or complete apathy <laughs> and not much in between. It's a burden that, that we don't have the entertainment stuff that we normally would or that kids and have given up seasons and recitals and that's, that's horrible. It's a burden. But in a lot of ways, we as Christians know how to deal with burdens. Because Christ did first. We pick up our cross 
and we follow him. This Lent, we have an opportunity to experience that burden with Jesus in a special and profound way. Just keep reminding yourself. That's, that's the way that I've kind of kept answering the question, is it worth it? Just think of that person. It's worth putting my life on pause for a little while so that they can live.